episode number nine of the podcast method. Today is Friday, April 3rd, 2015, and uh, we're sponsored this week by lynda.com. I'll tell you more about them as the show continues. Back on track now for the for the for doing these shows weekly. Excited about doing that because there have been so many awesome questions. Please keep the questions coming. Please keep the topic suggestions coming. There are two places to do that. The best one is just hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Dan Benjamin on Twitter and use the hashtag podcast method so that when I come in here and I, I do the show and I'm looking at all the tweets, they're going to be organized in that way. So that's really one of the best ways for you to do it. You can also use uh, topics.5by5.tv and on there you'll see a podcast method topic suggestion thing. This is just a little tool that I wrote in Ruby on Rails to help gather those topics, but I need to add some features to it. I need to add a way to show that, yes, this was answered and where and how it was answered. But uh, so for now, that and Twitter are two best ways to ask me questions. And please, again, do keep the questions coming. Another thing that you can do that is super duper helpful that we'll talk about uh, right after I mention it is uh, ratings on iTunes. So many people have asked me questions about why is that so important and how do I uh, how do I encourage my listeners to rate the show on iTunes? You just, you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again this time. You just ask, ask your listeners. And so I'm asking you, rate the show on iTunes. The reason that I ask you to do that, a little more in-depth than the answer that I gave last time when I've been asked that question before, is I don't really fully know the details of it. I know that it is known somewhere in the deep core of the Apple mothership exactly how Apple ranks shows in the iTunes store. There is a way, there is an algorithm. I don't know what it is for sure, but I know that it is directly related to how many people are subscribing in iTunes and how many people are rating the show in iTunes and the time that, that, that those things happen. So if a lot of ratings and a lot of subscriptions happen in a short period of time, it seems like your show will wind up in new and noteworthy. Uh, and if it's been around for a while and then there's a lot of downloads happening through iTunes, it might show up in what's hot. The way that they handle uh, showing shows as like top podcasts and top episodes, those are more related, in my observation, to things like downloads and how shows are, are being downloaded consistently through iTunes and subscribe. So those subscriptions help. The, uh, the ratings help and the reviews help. A friend of mine recently said, uh, he tweeted, I guess a new show that was on his network came out and he said, to the person who gave my show or the show a one-star review or one-star rating without writing a review, you are a coward. And I certainly understand his sentiment there. It's so frustrating when you do a new show and you see some good review, good ratings and some bad ratings. Well, like, help us out. If you're going to give the show one star, that's fine. You know, you might not like it, but explain why. Please leave a review. I read every single review, every single post. If if you mention this show or any of the shows that I do, I want to know why you liked it. I want to know why you didn't like it. So just like one star, that doesn't really help. Tell me why it was one star or tell me right then. In that case, you know, I know it's asking a lot, but like write me a two-sentence email that told me what you didn't like or send it in a tweet, but make it constructive. And this is something that if you're out there writing reviews and doing things like that, don't say that show sucked. That episode was stupid. Too much dead air. Whatever it was that you didn't like about it, try to make it constructive. Try to point out to somebody 
what uh, what what they could do better. Because how can we learn if the if the criticism isn't constructive? So make it constructive, and that's you know it's it's so tough to do because the that gut reaction is to be like ah fail didn't like it, but that doesn't help people make it better. There are so many shows like when I listen back to old episodes, even of uh, you know. I don't know, back to work, for example, that Merlin and I did. Those old episodes are great. But man, we have learned, I know I've learned so much about doing podcasts in the last year, two, three, six years of doing them. That when I listen to the old stuff, even though it might be great, I'm like, oh man, I should have done this better. I should have done that better. Well, if you've got opinions and you've got thoughts and you want to to share them with people, do it in a constructive way. I love your show. Here's how it could be better instead of your show sucks you can help. So that's uh, my inspirational, motivational tip for the day. Hope you enjoyed it. And now on to some questions. And I apologize if I don't get these names right. So if, if your name is tough for me to pronounce, I'll just read your Twitter handle. The Twitter handle here is Raphael G. Magic. He asks, should you focus on a single subject or several in the case of a first timer? Now, I've actually addressed this question before, but I had a little bit more to say about this. And uh, and I think I don't think it matters if you're a first timer or not. I don't think you need to be super, super focused on that single subject. And when last time when I talked about this question, I, I kind of wanted to expand on my answer because it's something that's really stuck with me. I think that if it's interesting to you, it will be interesting to a group of of other people who will become your listeners. If you're really, really interested in, you know, how Stanley Kubrick uh, directed his movies. There's a lot of people who are probably also very interested in Stanley Kubrick and how he directed his movies. If you want to just talk about the kind of lenses he used in three of the shots in 2001, you're going to have a much smaller audience. If you want to talk about every single uh, shot that he made in every single movie, you're also going to have kind of a smaller audience because I, me personally, like I'm not interested in that. But if you want to get into, you know, an overview of Stanley Kubrick and talk about a different movie each week or something like that, I think you're going to get a lot of listeners. That might be a weird example. But if you think about it, if you think about broadening your topic just enough to make it expansive, you know, you don't want something, a, a topic that's as big as, say, web design. That's a very, very, very big topic in a field that has become very specialized. But you might not also want to just say, oh, we're only talking about CSS. It might be too specific. So if, if you catch my drift, you want to be big enough so that you'll be able to come up with different shows, but focused enough so that you're not going to feel like you're, you have to cover too much in one episode. And I've seen lots of, and heard rather, lots of shows suffer because they're trying to cover way, 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 way too much stuff. And their show just becomes too long or too disorganized. Uh, I would love to talk more about video, for example, in this show, because I'm I'm learning so much about video that I want to share. But I also realize that that's probably outside the scope of the podcast method. We think of podcasts as being audio. Maybe one day if I ever learn enough uh, to do the, you know, video podcast show, maybe I'll do it. But for now, you know, I'm trying to keep this focused on the stuff that we do as people in front of a microphone recording a show for other folks to listen to. So that's kind of my expanded answer on that earlier question. Rob Griffiths, who's Bite Spider, B-Y-T-E, Bite Spider on Twitter, says, not quite podcasting, but any advice on avoiding editing when recording monologues or audiobooks? You know what? 
the difference between I think recording an audiobook and recording a podcast is only in maybe the the way that your audience will be listening. In my experience, audiobooks are many, many hours long, usually hours in length as opposed to minutes in length like most podcasts. I think that's really the only difference. And maybe you're not doing a sponsor read while you're while you're doing an, an audiobook maybe for now. Uh, I think the advice that we've given here uh, or recording a monologue in general kind of applies to doing an audiobook as well. I think in a way, you know, for me, what uh, made me uh, become a better, um, made me become a better reader, if you will, whether it's reading ad spots or whatever, was like reading to my kids uh, at night, you know, because like I don't always do the voices per se of, you know, of, of the characters in the book, but I want to make it sound fun. I want to make it sound interesting. And I think that if you're reading an audiobook or recording a monologue, right, that's telling a story. And I think podcasting at its best, even if it's a even if it's a news focused podcast where you're going in the 10 links in whatever topic you've chosen. That, I think, is very, very much still telling a story. And if you think about the people or the, the things that you've heard that you like, that you gravitate toward, it's because they're, they're telling you a story in a way that's memorable, even if it is just reading the news. You want to be, everyone kind of likes to be read to, you know? Maybe it's from growing up and having your parents read whatever. But we, we like that. So I think if you're, if you're emoting and not just reading you know, if you're telling a story, it's the same thing that I do when I'm when I'm doing uh, ad spots, like when I do Linda in a little bit. Make it conversational, make it human, and I think your audience will respond directly to that. Doug Slater, Slugor, says I'm interested in your views on the differences between radio and podcasting, uh, besides obvious delivery method. I talked a little bit uh, about that. In uh, in my episode, I think it was number seven, where I was saying that I think there are really two kinds of podcasts, one that sort of follows the radio model, but it's time shifted because you can listen to it anytime you want. And the other is what I'll, I'm calling the creation model, where you're making this thing and it is something that you will you'll get the source and then you'll edit it and tweak it and massage it and make the content and add in sound beds and do all this other stuff. Both of them are great. Both of them have their place. I generally tend to do more of the radio format and a big experiment, something that's a little more than just an experiment for me is the Dan Benjamin hour. This is a show that I'm doing five days a week. We record it live at 11 uh, Eastern time, uh, Monday through Friday. And we also have four cameras in there that let people see exactly what we're doing as we record it. It's like a behind the scenes kind of a view where you can go and you can see what we look like and what we're doing to run the show and how we, how we, what the guests look like. And it's great fun to do that. And it's a big challenge also because the video adds this whole other element. But I always loved the behind the scenes stuff. I remember any time that I would see even just a picture of the studio of my favorite radio host. Uh, or, you know, get a little clip of them on the news while it shows them like recording their show. I absolutely loved this. And I don't know if it was just attaching a face to the voice that I'd heard for so long or because I'm just like an audio geek and I love to see how these things are made. But anytime I see a behind the scenes video, I remember Field Notes, they did a really, really cool uh, video, short video showing 
exactly how they made the Field Notes books. I was like, wow, and it made me want to buy another set of these things. Like, it's just so cool. So for me, the, as far as my views on the differences between radio and podcasting, I don't know that they're really, for me, I don't know that there needs to be or is that much of a difference between those two, uh, those two different mediums. I think both of them involve the human voice. I think both of them involve storytelling. I think both of them can involve uh, news and teaching and learning. I think, unfortunately, there has become this this very formulaic process to making radio that, you know, you do these certain segments and you have to have these kind of bits and then you have to have sponsors that are delivered in a certain way and there are commercials and there is the FCC to worry about and there are all these kind of governing bodies that determine all of this stuff for you and you're sort of squashed into this tiny little square box that, that that's all you've got to do. I, I never really worked in radio, so I'm only telling what I know about it anecdotally and from, from reading and from talking to other folks who have been in it. Podcasting, it's wide open. You can kind of do whatever you want. But if you look to radio as a guide, if you look to see what, what things worked in terrestrial and satellite radio, what can you take from there and do better? I think there's unfortunately this concept that podcasts can be super casual. We don't have to do all this. You know, there's nothing wrong with being casual, but it can go too far. Right. You can you can have a show where people feel like, oh, there are no rules and we can just record whatever we want. And if people listen, that's fine. If they don't, that's fine. Well, you know what? Like you're making something. Don't, don't kid yourself. Like I've always, I, I whenever people would say, oh, you know, I write my blog for me. I don't write it for the audience. Well, then why are you publishing it? You're hoping someone comes along and reads it. I really want people to listen to this show. I really, really do. And if people don't listen, I'm going to be bummed out like. That's the reality of it. I want, I'm not saying I, I'm going to be unhappy if uh, 15,000 people listen or 10 or five or 500. But the fact is like, I'm making it for people to hear. I want them to hear it. So I have to do everything that I can do to make it great. And yeah, I'm doing it for myself because this is something that I'm passionate about and I love to talk about. But very realistically, I really do want people to listen. So you know, keep keep the fact that there is an audience or there can be an audience in mind and you can you can make something for them to listen to, make it the best thing that you can do. There there are those constraints in radio that we don't have in podcasting, but constraints aren't always bad. You know, keep I was uh, I was talking to some folks about their show uh, a couple days ago and they were saying, well, how long should the podcast be, for example? And I said there are sort of some magic numbers that I found that seem to work better for podcasts. These are just guidelines. Of course, your show can be much longer or shorter than this. It's whatever you want to do. But what I found is over the, you know, I guess the last six years is that the shows that are most uh, successful that seem to get the most listens are shows that, of course, the topic varies. But lengthwise, we get the least complaints about shows that are either about 15 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes, or 90 minutes. These are not rules. Okay, so like if your show is 17 minutes, like that's fine. But it seems like those kind of go hand in hand with, you know, about how long it takes someone maybe to commute to work or how long it takes them to, you know, to to walk their dog around the corner or something like that. I think if you have a show that is in that uh, 40 minute, that's like a longer commute kind of a kind of a time frame that might be like a grocery store run kind of a time frame. It might be a walking the dog or at the gym kind of time frame. When you get into the 60 minutes or 90 minutes, that might be like 
half your commute. So I'm listening on the way to work, I listen on the way home, or I listen to 60 minutes on my lunch break. It has to kind of fit with that. It Once you go over 90 minutes, well, you're asking a whole lot of your listeners. Uh, I think you'll still see the download numbers, but these people that I was talking to when I was sort of asking them what, what they listen to and, and what they like, you know, they were saying, you know, I never listened to that last 15 or 20 minutes of that long show. Like they just stop unless it's really gripping. So, you know, and if you say, well, I've always saved the best stuff for the end of the show. That's so people will listen all the way through. Chances are they're not really going to listen all the way through if you do that really long two hour show. Don't get me wrong. Some of the best episodes of shows that I've heard and listened to do run really, really long. You get people who are passionate. They're talking about something, especially like a movie or something like that. Uh, that in that case, then yeah, do it as long as that you think that it needs to be, but just be aware of how much you're really asking. If I were to, to, to put a three hour podcast in front of you and say, this is about something you like, but it's three hours, that's three hours. You're not going to get to do something else, whether it's work on that cool project, uh, go to the beach with your friends, spend some time with your kids, whatever it is that you're not going to be able to do while you've got headphones on, you know, that that's asking a lot. So just keep that in mind. A response to that could be, yeah, release it in a couple parts, make a one, two, three parter. That's another way to to do it. But I think uh, just bear in mind that you are asking a lot of your listeners when you do those really, really long shows. Brett, Brent Basham, Brent Bash on Twitter says, wanted to get your feedback about audio quality using an H1 in the field, got some wind, Yeti at home. This is a very typical thing. People asking me, what uh, should I use when I'm out and about? How should I record it? There's going to be ambient noise. There's going to be wind. You can get wind screens to use uh, for your remote you know, or for your, you know, your, your uh, movable rig, if you will. It, it's just the nature of being out in the world. And the answer is, if you want to eliminate that stuff or you want to eliminate as much of it as possible, the answer is spend money. That is the unfortunate reality of it if you want to you can go and find a microphone you can put a windscreen on the microphone you can do all kinds of stuff that will in fact help you eliminate uh, that kind of thing it's it's it is a money problem and i don't have any specific uh guidelines or equipment for you to get i really just don't but uh you know look on bnh photo video look on amazon and type in like microphone windscreens those things do make a big difference and that's how you get reporters out in the field who are able to record or that's how you get movies where they're you know recording the audio and and it sounds just fine that's how they're doing it but they've they've spent money to fix that problem kashik gopal Gosh, I sure hope I'm saying your name right. Asks two really good questions. I'm going to hit them both. The first one, how do you manage keeping 1.5 hour audio shows within 50 or to 30 megabytes in size? Can you share your export settings? Podcast method rock on. All right, uh, Kaushik, hope I'm saying that right. You know, there there is a standard for export settings. And I don't think this is something I've spoken about a lot on this show. I know I've mentioned it, but th- listen to me. Hear me now and believe me later, there is a setting you should use. First of all, very, very few podcasts have the AAC uh, version. They're, they're almost all MP3. You can do some really cool things built into AAC files like chapter markers and things like that. There are There is some support for chapter markers in MP3 and a new sort of XML add-on support for that. 
that's coming along and I'm really excited to see that. But MP3 right now is pretty much the standard. That's that's the way to go. And as far as export settings, you want to do it as a 64K mono file. That's how you do it. Point blank, that's your answer. Don't do stereo. Nobody cares about stereo. It's People are listening. And listen, I'm sorry if you're an audiophile, right? Like, I get that. I am too. But most people are going to be listening to this show with headphones on, the human voice. If you're talking to somebody and they're right in front of you, like, their voice is essentially a mono thing. Like, you don't need stereo to enjoy the spoken voice, the spoken human voice. It doesn't need to be in stereo. Other people will say, well, I put myself a little bit more on the left channel and I put my guest a little bit more on the right channel and it adds this really interesting depth. No, you know what? It's not worth doubling your file download size for it. It's just not worth it. Just to have the two people and let them be talking, save the bandwidth, save the disk space, save the download time and and do 64K mono. That's all you need. If you really, really want to bump up the audio a little bit more than that, well, I guess you could take it up a little bit more. I don't think it's necessary. And, you know, when I, I, I'm super, super excited whenever somebody says, wow, the audio quality on stuff you do on 5x5 is great. It, it sets the bar for other shows. Like That's the, one of the biggest compliments I could possibly get because we strive for the best quality audio. We've only ever released 64K mono and that's what this one is, 64K mono MP3 file. That's it. So uh, that's that's my recommendation. Don't do stereo. Don't do 128K stereo. It's not necessary. His second question is, when you have callers from different channels, Skype or direct mics, how do you make them all, and he has in quotes, sound the same? Great question. Remember, I've talked about in the past episodes, recording a multi-track, recording Every single person gets their own track. Every single person is recorded independent and individually of everybody else. And so what you're going to do is my baseline for this, and this is a very unscientific way to do it, but I will put headphones in and I will plug it into a, my computer that I'm you know, editing on and I will set the volume at half and it should sound a little, a little bit, but not really, but a little bit loud. Like maybe that I'm, it's comfortable to listen to at half volume. And if you go up much above that, it'll seem a little bit loud. And if you go a little below, it'll seem too quiet. But right around that halfway mark, that to me, through iPhone headset headphones uh, or the, the Sony uh, headphones that I use here, which are the, uh, the Sony uh, MDR7506s, those headphones, and yes, I just took them off to make sure I was reading the right number, uh, those headphones or iPhone headset, you know, about that halfway volume mark, it should sound really good. It should sound, you know, full and listenable at that point. If, you, uh, if you're going to find that, that you have to turn it up more, much more than that to hear it clearly, then the whole thing is a little bit too quiet. And that's usually the problem that people are running into is they're hearing that when they're editing, they're saying, oh, you know what, that track is, is too quiet or that one's way louder because that was me on my microphone and the other person on this other less expensive microphone didn't sound as good or then the Skype guest sounded you know, really bad. Well, this is all something that if you don't have inline compression and you don't have you know, things like noise gate and limiter and compression in line, you're going to have to do more work in post. So again, what does that mean? Well, here... And even before there was a here, when I was doing this from my house, I was using the DBX-286S's. These are workhorse things. They are just amazing. Uh, they're in the just under $200 range, which is not cheap, but they're preamps. 
if you walked into pretty much any radio station uh, or, you know, recording studio type place in in the world, these things, you're going to find tons and tons and tons of these things because they have built in compression, they have a built in noise gate, and they're preamps, and they're great. And they've got tons and tons and tons of gain so that you can power pretty much any microphone from the broadcast microphones like we use here, the dynamic, most, most broadcast places use dynamic microphones because they have really good noise rejection. Which noise rejection? I'm talking right into the front of the microphone right now. If I just move away just a couple of inches right now, now I'm talking just a couple of inches away from the center of the microphone. Big difference, right? Well, that's good though because if I'm not right here, I probably don't want that noise on my track. So if somebody walks in the room and says, hey, Dan, uh, are you almost done recording your show? That's going to be very, very quiet. I was only about a foot away. That's super quiet. It's going to eliminate that dog barking next door. It's going to eliminate the air conditioner. It's going to eliminate the car horn beeping. It's going to eliminate the person who's sitting across the room from you. You're not going to get their sound on your track, which is really important if you are doing a bunch of editing later. Super important. So for us, having these DBXs in line and putting the compression, not a lot of compression, not a lot, just a little, and go back and listen to uh, Jim Metzendorf on, uh, was the second or third episode, talking about how to tune compression in software. Well, you can do the same thing on the hardware, and we talk about that too. And having these things in place, and then you run your Skypes or whatever through uh, something like this, that will save you a lot of time in post-processing. Now, if you don't have these nice boxes in between the microphone or the audio source, like a Skype machine, and, uh, and your recording track, then you can do it in post. Whether you're doing it in Logic or Audition or uh, Pro Tools, there are some really good compression tools that you can do that you can put a subtle amount of compression on, a subtle amount of EQ, and in some cases, you might want to boost the volume. But what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to find the strongest, best microphone signal or audio source signal that you have. Most of the time, it will be you talking in front of your nice mic plugged into your nice computer and not your remote remote guests or your secondary guests. And you want to take that and use that as the baseline. And you want to want to make everyone else bring them up, perhaps by raising their volume a little bit, perhaps by compression or EQ. You're going to want to bring them up to your level. So that you don't have one person who's really loud and clear and crisp and sounds like they're in the room and then other people who are elsewhere, you know, sounding terrible. In some cases, you might find that, well, I had to bring my track down by half a decibel or even a whole decibel the, to, to, to balance it out because bringing other people up too loud made them sound bad. You will have to tweak it. But it's so important to have those levels sound the same so that all of the voices are the same. If you have to make a sacrifice because one person's connection was just terrible, you know, you might have to make that sacrifice. But when you have to listen to somebody whose volume is is way lower and then, you know, you're going back and forth between this really quiet person. Uh, so I wanted to tell you about my uh, my dog. I just got a brand new dog. And then you're the host here with uh, the voice of God coming through. You know, that's not a good thing. Not a good thing. So super good question. Critically important. And you know what? It's just going to take time. You're just going to have to mess with it. And if you have different guests on every show, you're going to have to mess with it on every show. That's another reason why getting those DBXs or having something like that in line can save you so much time in post. You might get them talking and you're like, oh, he needs a little bit more gain. You turn the knob a tiny little bit at the beginning of the show and you're done. 
You don't have to do anything in post except edit for content as necessary. Mansion Twit asks, how to block out my co-host's heavy breathing on mic? Can this be done well with software? So that's terrible. Uh, There isn't really a great way to do that with software. The one thing that you could kind of do is mess with with a a plugin called, uh, usually called NoiseGate where what you're essentially doing with noise gating or limiting is you're saying, in in this case noise gating, is you're saying anything that falls beneath a certain volume threshold, anything that has not quite enough sound to it, it's not loud enough, make it be zero, mute it completely. So what you can do is you can say, okay, where they're breathing, that falls below the sound of them talking. So make it completely silent. When they're just sitting there breathing, when they're talking, though, play that. And that's that's what a noise gate will do. The problem with a noise gate is if you're too aggressive with it, it will it will sort of make their regular talking sound broken up and you'll get a little bit of a kind of a pumping sound to it when they start talking and it'll it'll break up. So you've got to be very, very careful with that. There are also uh, like Audition and some some other uh, editing software has like you can remove a hiss, you can remove, you can strip out silence. There are lots of tools that will help you do that. But again, you're going to have to be careful with that threshold. And there are people who will complain and say that total silence Total silence when someone's not talking sounds unnatural. Uh, I can go along with that, although I think I'd prefer silence to uh, to just a hissing sound in the background. Tim Dobbs asks, I know you use Skype to record. Have you ever considered peer-to-peer software? And he gives a, an example. There, there are a lot of peer-to-peer podcasting solutions that have been coming out recently. I have tried and am trying as many of them as I can. There are a handful of them. Some of them are sort of browser-based so that it records something that's all synced up in a browser. There's other ones that will run on your mobile phone and they'll sync up with a Mac and then there's a central server and then they give you a file, they export a file that's all of them combined or individual tracks. We're getting there. We're not quite there yet. This goes back to the whole concept of everybody recording their own audio on whatever device they are and the issues of having that be synced up and then uh, worrying about audio drift because different machines record at different speeds, essentially, even if they're all happening at the same time. How do you address that? Uh, Then people having to upload the files, you having to then sync them back. There are a lot of little tricks to this. My feeling right now is if I record everything here in our studio, all the different guests, I record all the tracks. You don't have to worry about audio drift because it's one thing doing the recording. We've spent money on these DBXs and other things to make things sound as good as possible. And, you know, we've gotten pretty good at editing stuff and doing what we need to do in post. That's a lot of work, though. That's a commitment. It's an investment. And it's something that we've built over many, many years of doing this. If you were just going to jump into doing this, then I can see a solution like that might potentially have a lot to offer. I think they're all still kind of immature. I'm keeping my eye on it, though, very closely. And if I find one that works uh, that I can really start to recommend, then uh, I will. And if you're building one, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, we're building a solution for that, tell me about it because I would love to try it. I'm very much looking for something like that with as minimal of an impact on the potential guests uh, as I can have. For example, when you get a really good guest, you want to you don't want to ask them to do very much. You don't want to say, oh, here, you need to install this special software on your phone or you need to get this kind of set. I want to make it as easy for the guest as possible to just show up 
and and be awesome for an hour or 30 minutes or 15 minutes or however long you have them for. You know, I was lucky enough to get Jeff Veen yesterday on uh, on the Dan Benjamin Hour. Jeff Veen is like a super rock star. He's amazing. He, you know, he he built uh, with, with his amazing team of people. He built what is essentially now Google Analytics. He built Typekit. He, you know, it was an adaptive path. He's at True Ventures now. He's working on About Me. He's like the guy that convinced Adobe to, you know, get get their distribution over the cloud. I mean, he's super awesome. And uh, for some reason, he agreed to come on my show and it was great. But, you know, like we just did it over Skype and he sounded good. I don't know what microphone he was using, but as I, I wanted to eliminate any barriers that were there for a guy like that to potentially say no to being on the show. You ask someone to be on a show and like, oh, and by the way, now you've got to go download this app and you've got to authenticate against our server and you've got to record your end and oh. I don't want to burden anyone with anything. I, the fact that they're being on my show at all is a huge honor and a huge imposition on them and a taking up of their time for probably very little reward for them, especially if they're like a superstar. They're already a superstar. Being on your show with, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand downloads, this it's good for them, but it's not like it's doing them some huge favor. So the least that I have to do to burden someone uh, to be on my show that, that – that's that's the path that I'm going to take. So uh, that's my response to that. I want to tell you about our sponsor this week. It's lynda.com. They even made a special URL just for you guys that if you go to it, it will support the show. So if you're enjoying this show, I sure do hope you are enjoying this show. Uh, take a second and go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash podcast method, all one word spelled out, lynda.com slash podcast method. Linda is an online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. And going to that URL, you'll get a free 10-day trial. If you really want to support the show and do yourself a solid, sign up. Get 10 days free and you can learn so much of what I talk about here, the audio stuff, the editing, the video, but they have so much more than that. You know, here's a few of their courses, audio recording techniques, audio mastering techniques, foundations of audio, EQ and filters, music production secrets, Logic Pro 10 essential training, Pro Tools 11 essential training, podcasting with GarageBand, all of these really, really great tutorials done by people who know what they're doing, pros in the business who have come in and made these videos for you to listen to or watch and learn. It's just amazing. And if you have a problem or you're wondering something, use their search engine and you'll find a video and that a specific segment of a video that will have the answer for you. Really cool. Free 10-day trial. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A, lynda.com slash podcast method. Go check them out. Support the show by going there and support yourself by learning something that is pretty awesome. A lot of people uh, are asking me about the Blue Yeti microphone, Blue Yeti microphone, Blue Yeti microphone. It's all I ever hear about, Blue Yeti microphone. Let me go on record and say there's nothing wrong with the Blue Yeti microphone. I've, I've tweeted in the past that it's not my favorite microphone. It's not my favorite microphone, but there's nothing wrong with it. The fact that you invested in a microphone that's not just your iPhone headset is huge. That's a good thing. You've done something good. You've invested additional money and bought something that is not just the default shouting into your MacBook. You know, you're, you're, you're going some, uh, you're going the extra mile and you're buying something. The reason I don't love the Blue Yeti microphone, even though it has some really cool features to it, is I, I, I'm not a big fan of sub 
$150 sub $200 condenser microphones. I don't feel that they, they do the voice that much justice. There are some that I think are better than others. Uh, and I'm not biased against condenser microphones. I just know that the reality is here's the problem. Here's the problem you're going to run into is microphones, condenser microphones specifically versus dynamic, like the one I'm talking into now that does the really nice noise rejection. That's a dynamic mic. A condenser mic is going to have a really nice, warm, live sound to it. I don't know how else to explain it, but it has that live sound when you talk into a a condenser mic. Condenser mics are great for people recording vocals and singing because they pick up so many natural characteristics of the human voice. They're amazing. And the more you spend on one, the better you're going to sound. But the problem with a lot of condenser mics is that they also pick up a lot of background noise. Part of getting that live sound and what's moving that diaphragm in the microphone is the fact they're going to pick up so much stuff. So it's funny because... For whatever reason, I guess maybe it's the kind of magnets or the way that they're made. The condenser microphones are more affordable. They're more, it's more, it's easier to go out and buy a condenser microphone. But the condenser microphone is going to require a much better environment than a dynamic microphone. So yeah, you're getting something for less money. But you're going to have to do more to that room that you're in, whether it's hanging up blankets or putting up sound panels or, you know, being really careful. So, you know, you're kind of you're getting a microphone uh, for for less than you would if you bought a a dynamic one. But you have these additional challenges now that you're going to need to overcome. So I don't have anything personally against the Blue Yeti. It's just it's not my favorite mic. And when I've heard people go from recording on a Blue Yeti to then switching up to a Shure SM7B, which is like my number one recommended microphone for people to get like, whoa, now I know what they actually sound like. And now I can't hear all these noises in their background and things like that. Or perhaps they're going to high PR 40 or my brand new favorite, favorite microphone, which is just so much fun to say the Telefunken M82, Telefunken M82, loving this mic. What? That's a kick drum mic, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is a kick drum mic. And so is the RE20. And you know what? So is the PR40, if you really think about it, although most people would be using the PR30 because it's a little bit uh, smaller. So is the Audix A4. A lot of vocal mics, a lot of the best vocal mics ever made are also kick drum mics. Why? I don't know. Because I don't get to that level of microphone stuff. I know people who does. Marcus, if you're listening, you know, I don't know why they work that way. But some of the very best vocal mics, dynamic mics, are going to be uh, are going to have a, their heart in a kick drum mic. Nothing wrong with that. But I really, really like the Shure SM7B. And if somebody was just asking me, like, "Hey, I want to get a dynamic mic. Which one should I get?" Well, I'll get the Heil PR40. That's what Dan uses. Well, I do use that, but I have a new favorite. It is the M82. But for years and years and years and years, I use the Shure SM7B. It is a wonderful, wonderful microphone. They say that Thriller was recorded on the Shure SM7B. Michael Jackson sung into that for Thriller. Is this possible? Robin Quivers on Howard Stern uses it. Hattie Cook is on the Shure SM7B. Uh, and you can see her using that on the Dan Benjamin Hour. You can see the Telefunken M82 on the Dan Benjamin Hour, which is at 5x5.tv slash dbh. And you can see what these things look like. Why have I stopped using or promoting the Heil PR40? Well, I haven't. I'm talking into it right now. In our audio room, that's all we have in here. But every single person's voice sounds different. And you need to try these things out. A lot of places you can't really 
buy it and return it or they 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 don't allow that you're going to have to you're going to have to try these things though before you know what your voice sounds good on and what i've really wanted to do for a long time was to take a PR40 a Telefunken a Shure and maybe even throw a you know a couple condenser mics like USB condenser mics on there and talk into all of them at the same time read something into them all at the same time and then separate those things out into different tracks so that, you know, people can, you guys could go and, and listen. If that's the kind of thing you'd like for me to do, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Benjamin on Twitter. Let me know if you want me to do that kind of an exercise, and I will do it, and then you can hear. Because, you know what? My voice doesn't sound that great on a bunch of different microphones. It sounds pretty good on the PR40. I think it sounds great on the M82. It sounds okay on the Shure SM7B. That you take someone like like uh, like Hattie's voice, and she does not sound good on the PR40. It makes her voice sound a little bit shrill, and she was the first one to, to, to kind of identify that. But on the Shure SM7B, she sounds amazing on that. Me, I don't sound as amazing on it. It's just it's it's different for everybody, and you need to go and try as many mics as you can, as many ways as you can, especially if you're making a three or four hundred dollar investment. Don't just get one because, well, that's what Leo uses or that's what Dan uses. Or that's what Marco uses. Like go and get, you know, go in and, and try something uh, out before you just settle on it. Kenny Sabrisi, Fusion Compound on Twitter, asks a couple of great questions. So I'm going to take all of them. What do you think of shows like Tim Ferriss's where there is an intro and then here's the interview I did with XYZ? Well, He's doing an interview show, and that's typically, you know, that's typically how someone frames an interview show. You can't always get someone in to a studio where you have, you know, good recording equipment and you can't always do. I'm always, you know, I'm a big fan of getting an interview however you can get the interview. I mean, ideally, yeah, you have someone sitting across from you in a room and you're both on great mics and the room is soundproofed and you're monitoring it with headphones and everything sounds amazing. Realistically, like you may only get 15 minutes of someone's time on the phone. So you're going to have to roll with it. That's how he's doing his show. The show is one of the biggest shows out there. Uh, Tim Ferriss is is killing it or crushing it, as the kids like to say. So, you know, more power to him. I think it's it's a, a good show. He's doing good interviews. I don't mind it. Uh, that's that's the, the format that he's using, and it's it's working. Another and Kenny's other question: Listen to a show, and the host had similar voices. Uh, difficult to tell them apart. How do I prevent that? I remember back in the old talk show days, one of the biggest complaints that we used to get is I can't tell when John Gruber is talking and I can't tell when uh, when when Dan Benjamin is talking. I never understood that because to me, even back in the old days, I thought that our voices sounded completely different. But, you know, there is often that situation where people will have the same vocal range, if you will, especially if it's guys They'll have a similar vocal range where they're sharing the same kind of space, vocal space, if you will, uh, especially compounded if they're on the same kind of microphone. So if you have two people with similar voices talking over the same microphone and then that's being compressed and that's being exported out as an MP3, which is not, you know, really, to be honest, it's not the best format in the world. Well, you might wind up having them sound the same. So how do you get around that? Well, the answer isn't putting one person a little more on the left and putting the other person a little more on the right. 
there are ways around it. Uh, you can EQ the voices slightly differently, trying to make them sound as much like they sound in person. Ideally, the, the people could be on different microphones, you know, find the microphone that's right for the voice. Now, if the, if the voices are similar, chances of the microphones they use would, would be similar. But, you know, I think a big part of it comes down to the treatment of the voice, the EQ of the voice. And some of it may just be that the audience needs to learn who's who. It's uh, it, it can be tough. It can be tough. I'm not going to say don't do the show with that person anymore. Obviously, that's silly. But, uh, you know, the, it, it's something that you can handle with a little bit of EQ, changing those compression settings. Don't just pick one EQ pattern and one compression setting. But there are some subtle things you can do uh, to help with that. CDO Show asks, I'm recording four people around a table. Should I use an omnidirectional mic versus uh, four mics connected to laptops or a Thunderbolt mixer and four mics? My answer is a Thunderbolt mixer and four mics or any kind of mixer and four mics. This is is going to save you so much time. There are a handful of mixers that I like, whether they're Thunderbolt or USB, doesn't really matter that much. The main things that you want with a digital mixer, and, and you know nowadays you want to go digital if you can, is you're, you're going to want to make sure that you are recording each of those people on a separate track. So when you're investigating which mixer should I get and how does it work, you want to make sure, and that's why uh, he says Thunderbolt there, Thunderbolt or Firewire mixers are going to almost, almost across the board always record every single input on a different track. That's very important because of the editing and because of the balancing and everything else that I talked about. Even if you've got four people in front of four mics and they're all the same and they're all in the same room, the way that they speak, the proximity that they have, the mic technique that they have, all of this stuff. And I have a video out there on, on mic technique all put into the show notes. Uh, it, all of that's going to vary from person to person to person. It's going to be different from person to person to person. So you need to record them on separate tracks, post-process them differently, edit them differently. And the best way to do that and have everything synced up is to get that kind of a mixer. And you can get plenty. There are plenty of Thunderbolt and USB type mixers that will handle all of those different inputs and let you record those different inputs all at the same time. They're putting somebody on their own microphone connected to their own computer not only requires that now you need three or four computers and three or four separate USB mics, which don't offer a lot of upgradability. You know, if you get an XLR mic, you can plug it into anything and use it pretty much anywhere. And you can even get a USB, an XLR to USB adapter, uh, which I'll put one of those in the show notes too, that'll let you hook it up to something. I mean, you just, if you get a USB only mic, they're fine, but just keep in mind, like you can never plug that thing into a mixer ever. There is no way to do that. But if you get an XLR mic, you can get a USB adapter and plug it into your Mac, or you can then plug it into a mixer when you grow. So keep that in mind too. But uh, I, I really prefer having one mixing device, everything plugged into that. You get it all in one place. You can monitor with headphones plugged into one thing. It's it's really, really a great thing to do. And omnidirectional mics, just they just suck. Don't get an omnidirectional mic. Never use an omnidirectional mic. They're the worst in the whole world. Dan Betcher, B-E-T-C-H-E-R, asks, if you use multiple computers with multiple Skype calls for guests, do you also have multiple Skype accounts? Yes. Each one of those computers will have a separate Skype account on it. Each one of those computers' outputs, that is the headphone jack, will go into your mixer, and then your auxiliary outputs with mix minus in full effect 
will go into the input jacks of each of those computers. And then you will set those input and outputs to be the inputs and outputs that you use in Skype. And each one of those Skypes will be logged in in a separate account. So you might have uh, Dan Betcher guest one, Dan Betcher guest two, Dan Betcher guest three. It doesn't really matter. The point is, you know, they're almost, I don't want to say throwaway Skype accounts, but who cares what they are? You're only using them when you bring those guests on to the show. So they don't have to be something really cool or something even very memorable. You're probably going to be exchanging the info for that over email with them anyway. So you, you get them on each one of those different Skypes. They all run at the same time. Now, People would say, well, wait a minute, I don't, that sounds like a lot of work. Why, uh, why don't I just do a conference call and record that with you know, a Skype recorder or something? Yes, you can do that. But keep in mind, if you do that, each of the guests will then be combined. All the guests will be combined onto one track, and you won't be able to edit them individually. So the one person who had a great mic next to the other person with their dog snoring under the desk, next to the other person who's on you know, an iPhone headset – you can't isolate their tracks out. And if they talk over each other, there's nothing that you can do. If they're different volumes, there's nothing you can do. If they need different EQ and compression, there's nothing you can do. And that's why we have a more elaborate setup. Or that's also why people might have their guests record their own and doing the, doing the double ender. Uh, Dan also asks, for in-person group recording, in-person group recording, should I plug my headphones into the computer or direct to the mixer? Always direct to the mixer. Always direct to the mixer. What you should do is you should get a headphone amp, and I will put links to my favorite headphone amps into the show notes. Again, show notes are going to be 5by5.tv slash podcast method slash nine, nine times, because uh, you want to be able to take the output from that mixer and give it to all of the people who are on the show with you, whether they're in person or remote, in which case you got that auxiliary out. The reason is, and you must, I'll say this again, you must, 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 must always listen to what you are sounding like with your headphones on. Put your headphones on and record and listen to yourself and listen to your guests. And if you, everyone's in the same room, you still put the headphones on because how do you know if you have perfect mic address technique like this or if you're off like this? Huh. Oh, I was looking over there at Bill and then I was looking at uh, Mary over here and, uh, you know, Oh, right. I was off mic the whole time. And I guess I'll have to fix that in post. Or maybe we'll re-record it. Or, eh, you know what? Let's just not air that episode. We'll record a new one. You don't want that. You're better than that. I'm looking right at you. Yes, you. You're better than that. So what are you going to do? You are going to put your headphones on. Oh, I don't like the way my voice sounds in my ears. It's weird to hear myself when I talk. Get over it. Everybody in the entire recording industry and broadcast industry and radio industry does that. When you're on TV and you've got a lav mic pinned right under your shirt and you're, you know, guesting on David Letterman, then you don't have to wear headphones. Okay. But that's not what you're doing. You're making a podcast and you want to make it sound as good as you can. So put the headphones on and listen to yourself because your mic technique, if you're not, if you don't have headphones on, your mic technique probably sucks. I'm just being honest with you. Very few people, including me, have good mic technique if we are not constantly listening to, monitoring, and changing our mic technique. It would be so easy for me to just, as I'm looking down at the computer screen, to kind of read my notes right here on the show, and then you don't really hear me so good, you know? And I didn't realize I was doing it because my headphones weren't on. I have to have my headphones on, or else I won't sound right. You do too. Everybody plugs into the same source, 
that makes sure that everybody hears the same thing. They can adjust their volume if you have a headphone amp. So get one. They're not expensive, and there will be one in the show notes for you. All right, I have two more questions I'm going to take before we call it a day. First one is from Tim Hopper, who asks, do you recommend a camcorder for live streaming? Uh, I remember in the beginning part of the show, I said I kind of want to keep this focused on audio stuff. But since this is such a straightforward question, I'll answer it. We like the Canon uh, Vixia. It's Canon, and I'll get all in the show notes. The Canon Vixia, you can get the G20, you can get the G30. It depends on your budget. They're still making the G20s. That's what we use here. They're great cameras. They have an HDMI out, and these things have to plug into something because how do you input HDMI to do the capture for the streaming, right? Well, you can get the Blackmagic. They sell these great little Blackmagic boxes, the cheapest ones. They're about uh, $150, $200, the Ultra Studio Mini, I think. But anyway, it'll be in the show notes. This thing takes the HDMI signal, and it converts it to Thunderbolt, and the Thunderbolt plugs into your Thunderbolt Ready Mac or PC, And then you use software like Wirecast or something else to take that HDMI to Thunderbolt converted signal and stream it out somewhere. You can get by with a much less expensive solution, though, instead of a camcorder, which is there is a Logitech web camera that has a really, really great, uh, really, really great lens to it. I'll put that in the show notes. And the last thing is something that we've been experimenting with, which is the, uh, the GoPro. Uh, the GoPro Hero 4, and I think they still make the Hero 3s, which might be a little less, but I always try, if I can afford it, to get the latest greatest because I feel like it'll last me longer. But the Hero 4, everyone thinks of the GoPro as having this super big fisheye lens. Well, they do. They have a really big super fisheye lens, but there are settings on the GoPro. You can change that to have from that super wide to uh, regular to even a narrow view. And a narrow view, if you switch it to narrow view, looks pretty much like a regular camcorder. And you're not going to get quite all of the high definition you'd get with some of these other cameras, but it has the added bonus of being a really awesome little portable camera too. So don't rule out the GoPro, especially if you already have one or know someone that, that has one. These things make pretty cool little cameras and they have an HDMI out on them as well. And the last question is from Spare Room Radio. Can you talk about voice technique? How do you keep it upbeat without sounding like an announcer? I don't know the answer to this question. I don't want to sound like an announcer, so I don't think that I do sound like an announcer. I think I'm just talking about something that I really like. And if your challenge is finding that thing to talk about that you really like, then maybe pick a different subject matter to talk about. If you feel like you're sounding like an announcer... Maybe consider getting some work as an announcer because that's a really cool job to have. But I think like if you were sitting there talking to your kids about something and your kids are like, dad, mom, you sound like an announcer. Well, that would be weird, right? You're not going to sound like an announcer if you're talking to your kids or if you're telling your friends about the your favorite movie that you just saw or if you're you know explaining uh, something that you, you, you really love, something you're really interested in to a friend. I don't think you're going to sound like an announcer. That's exactly the way you should approach podcasting. You're talking about something that you like or something you're interested in and you're sharing it with your friends. Because if that's not why you're podcasting, I dare say you're doing it for the wrong reasons. I don't think you're going to sound like an announcer if your heart is in it. So uh, that's my last bit of advice today. I really appreciate you tuning in. Again, if you have questions for me, and I hope that you, uh, you will take the time to ask them, do that on Twitter. I am at Dan Benjamin. Use the hashtag podcast method. 
and then I will see them and I will be able to get to them or try my best to get to them here. You can also ask them on uh, topics.5by5.tv. There's a podcast method section there for you to use. And uh, and that's about it. Again, show notes are at 5by5.tv slash podcast method slash nine. I really appreciate you tuning in. Go check out Linda, lynda.com slash podcast method. Support the show. And uh, if you really want to support the show and you love what we're doing and you want us to do more things, uh, then uh, please go to patreon.com slash 5by5. You can donate a buck, two bucks, whatever you think is fair. Totally up to you. And we appreciate everyone who's donated and, and, and gotten us this far. So thanks very much for, for your help there. And uh, that's it for this week of Podcast Method. I'll be back next week with a new show. Keep your questions coming. Take care.